You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. I read this. Someone once said, quote, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, God's ability, and God's timing, unquote. I like that. I like that. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So Jesus, when he spoke about the importance of faith, even says in Mark 9, 23, all things are possible for whom? Those who believe. Those who have faith. We all have someone or something in which we place our faith. That person becomes a significant part of your life. But can you rely on that person in every circumstance? Pastor Dave tells you today how you can put your faith in Jesus with confidence. He has the ability to make any worldly impossible situation possible. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Nehemiah chapter 2 as he begins his message, Man of Faith. So we met Nehemiah last week as we began chapter 1. And you'll remember at the end of chapter 1, we found out that Nehemiah has a very, very important job. He is the cupbearer for the king of Persia, who happens to be King Artaxerxes. We also found out last week, even more important than that, that Nehemiah was a man of prayer. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. And I've said this before, God uses men of prayer. God uses people of prayer. God wants us to be a people who pray. He wants us to be a people who pray. One of the reasons why we gather on Sunday night is to fulfill God's call for our lives to pray and seek his will, not only for us, not only for the church, but for our families, for the nation, for the world, and everything that's happening. You know, we, we put it at God's feet and we pray. And it's a wonderful time. That's why we always invite you to come and be a part of that prayer time. So, but God uses men and women of prayer. In chapter 1, Nehemiah recounted the time that one of his brothers and a group of men came from Judah. And when Nehemiah asked these guys what was going on in Judea and Judah and specifically Jerusalem, what was happening to the Jews that had come back from exile? Remember, we studied that in Ezra. They told them that they weren't doing very well, that they were just surviving. And remember, we talked about just surviving. They were just eking out a living. Things were not going well for these people. He also said that one of the reasons things weren't going well for the people was the fact that the walls of Jericho hadn't been repaired. They were in rubble, and the gates were all burned up. And anyone could come in and come out without hesitation. There was no protection. This was one of the things that the walls do around a city, is serve as protection. They serve as protection. And without the walls, various nations just come in and wreak havoc and do whatever they want. This news shocked Nehemiah. It brought him to his knees. He broke down and he cried. He wept for many days. 
but he also fasted and prayed. Remember, Nehemiah is a man of prayer. And the majority of chapter 1 was Nehemiah's prayer. It was Nehemiah's prayer to God that God would do something and that God would use him to accomplish something about these walls that were torn down and these gates. Fasted and prayed. He called on God to hear him. And he made intercession for the Israelites. Here is this man who has never, ever been to Jerusalem. He'd never been there. He was born in captivity. But yet he had a heart for his brethren. Had a heart for the Israelites. And he prayed for them and he intercessed for them. He confessed to the Lord that Israel's been unfaithful. Israel has been quite unfaithful. And he admitted that they have been unfaithful and even corrupt. He identifies with his people. He didn't accuse them. Oh, these people, they're pretty bad. No, he said, we're bad. Because of our forefathers, we're bad. So he took ownership of the sins of the nation. He identifies with the people in their sin. He also said along with himself, everyone in his father's household had been disobedient and sinful. God had given a specific call to the children of Israel. He had given them a specific call. This one, they're called the chosen people. They're God's chosen people. And he gave them a specific call, but they had sinned willfully against him and gone against his command, which was one of the reasons why he sent them away for 70 years, because they sinned. And they went after idols. Nehemiah confessed that neither he nor the Israelites had kept God's commands. I just said that. He knew that the God told the Israels that if they grew unfaithful and if they became disobedient, he would scatter them. That's exactly what he did. But Nehemiah, during his prayer, also reminds God of his promises. And I love that. We talked a lot about that last week, how Nehemiah reminded God of his promises. And it's not that God forgot. It's not that God forgot about the promises, but in the prayer, Nehemiah was bringing up his promises. And that's an encouraging thing for us when we pray for one another. When we pray for one another to bring up the promises of God, like whatever two agree on earth, It'll be done in heaven. Whatever two bound on earth, it'll be bound in heaven. These are promises that God has made us in his scriptures. So when we pray these things, we can say those things. God, remember, you said. So we're praying God's will. He told his people near. And he wanted to bring them to a place. God had promised to do that. And he did that. God was faithful. God brought a great remnant out of Babylon and took them back to Jerusalem and was with them. Remember when we studied Ezra? That's what Ezra was about. Two groups had come back. Nehemiah begged for God's mercy upon them and upon himself, despite the corruption and their times of faithlessness. God always hears our cries of mercy. When we beg for mercy, if we know him, If we are one of his children and we cry out for mercy, I've always told you one of the best prayers we can pray to the Lord is, Lord, help me. Help me. Have mercy on me in my time of need. Have mercy on me in my time of trouble. Help me. And if you're sincere because God looks upon your heart, you can be assured that he will. So Nehemiah was a man of prayer. And if you didn't read the prayer in chapter 1, it it takes up most of the chapter. It's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. And we can model some of the way we pray after what Nehemiah had said. 
So now we get into chapter 2, and now that Nehemiah has prayed, we get a glimpse of Nehemiah, who I call a man of faith. Nehemiah is a man of faith. It's interesting that I read this. Someone once said, quote, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, God's ability, and God's timing, unquote. I like that. I like that. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So Jesus, when he spoke about the importance of faith, even says in Mark 9, 23, all things are possible for whom? Those who believe. Those who have faith. So the first thing we see in in chapter 2 is that Nehemiah had the faith to wait for God. Nehemiah had the faith to wait for God. You can call it patience, that would be okay, but he had the faith to wait for God. Let's look at verse 1, and it came to pass. I love that. I love that verse, and it came to pass. Having a bad time, and it came to pass. Going through a trial, and it came to pass. Having a great time, and it came to pass. (laughs) Anyhow, I like that verse. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, remember that, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I, Nehemiah is writing this, it's in the first person, I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had never been sad in his presence before. The month of Nisan now, remember, runs between, in this calendar, between mid-March and mid-April. So this tells us that it's been approximately four months since Nehemiah heard the sad news about his brethren in Jerusalem and went to the Lord in fasting and prayer. Four months. Nehemiah waited patiently for God's response to his prayers. He was confident that God had heard his prayers, and now he waited for an answer. As he waited, he continued to do his duties as cupbearer to the king. You know my saying, you know what I'm going to say. He didn't get a hammock and sit down and eat bonbons and wait for the Lord to answer him. He kept busy while he was waiting for the answer. And you know what, this is coming to me now. I think the Spirit wants me to say this. John Waller sings a fantastic song about waiting. A wonderful wait is called, I'm waiting while I'm waiting. And what does he say? He's the verses. He says, I will serve you while I'm waiting and I will worship you while I'm waiting. See, I'm not going to sit back and wait. I'm going to be busy about the things that you want me to do. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do the things you've called me to do. Whatever your job may be, whatever your call in life might be, if you're waiting for the Lord for something, you're going to continue that Blood, you're going to continue to do those things that God has called you to do. And he's given you to do through your jobs and things like that. But you're going to continue on as we will. He waited and he continued to do his duties as cupbearer for the king. And it's interesting, I have here as a reference point, um, Hebrews 6, in verses 10 and 12, it says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope when until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. 
You see what he's saying here? Continue on. Move on. And you've heard us say this before from this podium or from a teaching. You know, we're in the last days. We expect Jesus to come at any moment. We believe that his return is imminent. What are we to do? Well, Jesus told us, occupy till I come. Go about my father's business. Go about our father's business. Continue to preach the gospel. Continue to be the light in the midst of a dark world. Continue to talk to people about Jesus Christ. Continue to help and love each other the way Christ has loved us. All those things that we're supposed to do, that's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to find the highest mountain and all sit around and sing kumbaya until the Lord comes. That's not what he has asked us to do. He's asked us to continue to keep busy. Even the prophet Isaiah, even Isaiah says this in Isaiah 28, 16. In Isaiah 28, 16, 28, 16, Isaiah says this, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Waiting on the Lord is important for us to do, not to go out and act hastily when we believe God has called us to do something, because as we're waiting, he's preparing us. As we're waiting to find out what's going on, he is preparing us. Nehemiah didn't rush off after he prayed and tried to do things in his own muscle. He waited. He waited. He waited four months. He didn't try to do things on his own. He did not act hastily, but he waited. He waited on the Lord to show him and guide him. And I think this is an important admonishment for us. God has called each of you to do something, and maybe you don't know what it is yet, but you need to wait on him to show you. We need to wait to him to show you, and he will. True faith in God brings a calmness to your heart. True faith in God brings a calmness up here. What does Paul call it? The peace that surpasses all understanding. That's what Paul calls it. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your request to the Lord. And what? The peace that surpasses all understanding will do what? Guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. See? So that is a calmness in your heart. That's a calmness. This calmness keeps you from running frantically around trying to help God out and fulfill your prayer or your dreams. Well, God told me this was going to happen. I got to help him out. He's taking too long. I got to give him a help out. Well, when you get to heaven, you can ask Abraham about that. (laughs) See how well that worked out for him. I still have to ask him, what were you thinking? We will never get anywhere trying to do things on our own strength. And you know that. It's not like I'm preaching to people who don't. You know that. In our own strength, Jesus says we can do nothing. He says in John 15, verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. In and out of our own strength. Many of us, been there, done that, have the scars and the ripped up t-shirts to prove it. We've been there. We've got scars on our bodies because we tried to do things in our own strength. We've tried to do things when we thought the Lord was leading. And he might have been leading us. But we didn't wait upon him to fully get us together. Even with me coming down here those 17 years, a couple of times I tried to push it. I tried to do this and tried to do that. And he closed doors left and right on me. You have to wait and be patient in your waiting. I found that we need to be patient. And I like this. And this is something that has come to me lately. We need to allow God to be God. We need to allow God to be God. God wants to be God. He wants to be God in our lives. He wants to teach us and guide us and lead us. Weeping and praying is okay. 
But we also must continually pray, continually ask, seek, and knock until the Lord moves us. We must be moving about or doing the things that he's called us to do. Reading his word brings a calmness to our spirit. Studying his word brings a calmness to our spirit. Waiting on the Lord, ladies and gentlemen, please hear this. Waiting on the Lord is not a waste of time. It is not a waste of time. It is an investment. It's an investment. Why? Because during the waiting period, I just said it before, God's preparing you. God is preparing you and he's preparing whatever you're going to do. If you're praying about ministering to somebody, as you're waiting for God to open up a door, he's preparing you and he's preparing for the person you're going to minister to. He's preparing both parts. I've seen this too many times. And he prepares the circumstances that are things will be accomplished also. And he uses this. When the time arrives, you'll know it. When the time comes, you will know it. It'll be unmistakable. And then, friends, don't delay. Then you must move forward. Then you must move forward. To delay is sin. Because God has called you. He's prepared you. And now he's saying, get thee out there. And you need to move. You need to go. You need to move when God calls you. So Nehemiah, the king looks at Nehemiah and says, why are you so sad? Why are you so sad? He's never been sad in the king's presence before. I might add that looking sad in the king's presence could be a dangerous thing. Most kings don't like bad news. Most kings want you happy and joyous around them. When you're sad in front of them, they don't like that. They have something about that. Verse 2, therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad? Since you're not sick, there is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. I guess so. The king noticed that you were ill or yet you were not ill and you were sad. Like I said, it's not good to be sad around the king. King could have been angry at Nehemiah for being sad. You have to realize kings. You have to realize their psyche. He could have been mad for Nehemiah. But Nehemiah couldn't hide his sadness. You know, and there's a a beautiful scripture that I tagged here in um, Proverbs. In Proverbs 15, if I can get it here. In Proverbs 15, verse 13. It says, a merry heart makes cheerful countenance. But by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. The king looked into Nehemiah's sorrow, and he knew it wasn't from illness. He knew there was something deeper happening in his heart. Maybe Nehemiah prayed every morning to the Lord that the Lord would open a door and allow him to speak to the king, because that was his original prayer. If you go back to chapter 1, Nehemiah asked the Lord that he would make a way for him to speak to the king. You just didn't walk up to the king and go, uh, by the by, buddy. Um, no, you don't do that to the king. But because of Nehemiah's position, cupbearer, he was in close relationship to the king. He knew that God would eventually open a door. Why? Because Nehemiah knew that God was in control. We have to know that when we pray, God hears our prayers. We have to know that God is in control of all things. It's called his sovereignty. We've talked about that many, many times before. But the king broaches the subject. Why are you so sad? Open door, Nehemiah. Here it is. 
Here's the open door you've been waiting for. God now sets the whole thing up. The king asks, why are you so sad? Nehemiah, what a great thing. So Nehemiah, a man of faith, he had the faith to wait. And next we see he had the faith to act. He had the faith to do what he was called to do at the time he was called to do it. Nehemiah steps out in faith and speaks to the king about what is on his heart. Look at 2B and 3. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, May the king lead forever. Good way to approach a king. And then he says, why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Instead of being afraid of the king, Nehemiah steps out in faith. Think about it. God had everything under control in this situation, including having Nehemiah in the position of cupbearer where the king would see him. Now, if you saw somebody on a regular basis every single day and they never had a frown on your face, you too would know immediately if there was something wrong by the countenance of the person. We know each other real well and we see each other. I can tell when there's something wrong with y'all and I'm sure you can tell when there's something wrong with me because I can't hide a thing. But we know that. We know that. So this is what's happening. Nehemiah was in a position of close relationship to the king. And when the king asked, he had to speak. He had to speak. Nehemiah boldly now tells the king why his countenance is so sad. Look at verse 4. Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to God of heaven. I love this. I love this. The king says to uh, Nehemiah, what do you want? I wonder... (laughs) I wonder if Nehemiah slyly looked to heaven like, you got to be kidding me, right? I wonder if he he looked up at heaven when he said, what do you want? You know, it's like, what would you love to hear? What would you love to hear when you're witnessing to somebody? Tell me what you would love to hear. I know what I would love to hear. What do I have to do to be saved? Are you kidding me? (laughs) We all want to hear those things, right? We all want to hear those. So Nehemiah gets his answer or, or gets his wish. The king says, what do you want? What do you want? I'm sure he looked at heaven. And and he says a quick prayer. I love that too. He says a quick prayer. He didn't look at the king and said, I'll be back in a couple minutes and go off here and pray for about a half hour and then come running back to the king. No, he says a quick prayer. What did it sound like? God, help me. I don't know what it sounded like. I don't know what it was. But he said a quick prayer right before he starts talking to the king. I love this about Nehemiah. It's probably because Nehemiah was a man of prayer. He was used to speaking to God. God was used to hearing from Nehemiah. God always loved it when Nehemiah prayed to him, just like he loves it when we pray to him, when we get on our knees and cry out to him, when we ask him things, when we tell him how much we love him, when we accept his love for us, when we pour our heart out in front of them. You are assured. Nehemiah 2, 17-18 says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. 
When Nehemiah wanted to motivate and encourage people to enter into the work of God, he didn't only tell them about the great need in front of them, he also told them of the work God had already been doing. Do you see something that needs doing that you'd like to bring others along to do the work with you? Pray and step into the work, and when God begins to move in great ways, showcase that for the world to see. You'll find that others want to jump in the work God is already doing, but it does take a person to lead the charge. If you're seeing the need today, that person is you. Thanks for joining us today on A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Pastor Dave is making his way through the rich book of Nehemiah, and you don't want to miss a moment of it. One way to be sure you can catch it all is to head over to assurehoperadio.com. Once there, you'll find all the ways you can stay up to date with the current series or go back and revisit another one. Once again, that website is assurehoperadio.com. Well, that's all we have for today. We'll be back with more in the book of Nehemiah next time on A Sure Hope.